Amen. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. I don't know about you, but that was fun right there. Man, good jamming, uh, ladies and gents. That was, uh, that was a good time. I thought it was going to turn right down into a hoedown. And I was getting ready. I was getting my dancing shoes ready. That was fun. Man, it's great to have you with us this morning. We are going to continue our study through the book of Esther. We're going to be in Esther chapter uh, 7, excuse me, Esther chapter 7, looking at verses 1 through 10. And, uh, man, hasn't the story of Esther been great? Hasn't it been good? All right. Um, that's, that's, we love to be real here at Grace Church. So if you're like, no, I've liked the story, but I hate your preaching, like, feel free to, feel free to say that. But I think the story has been uh, extremely powerful. As I've personally been studying through this, the Lord has been speaking to me personally a ton. And I hope and pray that the Lord has been speaking to you as well through this great book in the Scriptures, the book of Esther. And this morning I'm excited once again just to see what God has for us. And um, I pray and have been praying that you are greatly blessed by the message. The book of Esther was written over two and a half thousand years ago. All right, But yet this very ancient book applies to our lives as if it were written yesterday. I mean, it, it, it applies to us so critically in our moments and in our uh, walks of life. This story has it all, okay? It, it's, it's a great, great story. It has powerful drunk men, right? It has drama, beautiful women, deceit, suspense, and imminent death. And uh, each chapter leaves us hanging. I mean, the cliffhangers are just fascinating in this book. And it leaves us in great anticipation. As a matter of fact, last Sunday after I got done speaking, I, I kind of walked into the lobby there, and my son Isaac caught me. And he said, Dad, like really, he's, he's, a, he's a go-getter. So he's like, Dad, I hated the way you ended your message today. He's a, he's a tough critic, all right? He said, I hated the way you ended your message today. And I said, why is that? Like, were you sleeping? You know, I was just assuming maybe he was bored out of his mind. And he said, no, Dad, I want to know... What happens? You left us hanging. That's why I hated it. I want to know what happens. What happens to the Jews? What happens to Esther? What happens to Haman? Who wins, Dad? Who wins? I don't know about you, but I loved hearing that. I loved it. Man, he was excited about God's Word. An 11-year-old boy excited about God's Word. And... uh I just have to say, if you think the Bible's boring, you haven't read the Bible, okay? Or you're in the book of Leviticus, all right? So, so move to a different book, and it'll be much better. But the Scripture says, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It is precise, it cuts it hurts sometimes but it's what we need and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires man that is such a powerful verse but i have to be honest with you that's not a fun verse i don't want you to know what i'm thinking what my innermost thoughts and desires i'm i'm embarrassed by those things sometimes but that's what god does is it purifies us it brings to light those thoughts it brings to light those desires so that we can deal with it so that we can walk in victory uh, over sin through the power of Jesus Christ. So the Word of God is amazing, it's powerful, and it's life-giving. That's the Word of God. 
If you're new here, let me catch you up to speed. Okay, We're in the book of Esther, chapter 7. It's in the Old Testament. Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. It's kind of in the middle. Go to the middle and then go back a couple chapters. Uh, But there's a king named Xerxes. He rules over the kingdom of Persia, which is the largest kingdom in the world at this time. Xerxes is the most powerful man on the earth. Many consider him to be a god. He divorced his wife in a drunken rage, so he needed to find a new wife. So he holds an enormous beauty pageant in the kingdom of Persia. Hundreds of women are contestants, and the winner becomes the queen of Persia. And you thought that TV show, The Bachelor, was an original idea. Oh, my goodness. The winner of this insane beauty pageant was a Jewish woman named Esther. Now, the villain of this story is a man named Haman, one of Xerxes' main rulers. He's second in command. Haman loves power. He loves glory. He's full of pride. And a decree was made by King Xerxes that everyone must bow down to Haman. Everyone in the kingdom bows down to Haman except for one guy. And that one guy was Mordecai. Mordecai won't bow. Mordecai, Esther's adopted father, makes a brave decision not to bow down to Haman. And this sends Haman into a rage. And when he finds out that Mordecai's Jewish, Haman makes a plan to not only kill Mordecai, but to kill all the Jews as well. And it's estimated roughly 15 million people. Xerxes approves Haman's plan for genocide and everything looks hopeless for the people of God. We saw Mordecai inspire. If you remember, Mordecai challenged Esther to go before the king. He inspired Queen Esther to do the right thing by telling her that God had created her for such a time as this. This was your moment, Esther. This is, this is why you're queen, so that you can go before the king and, and actually save the people of Israel. Esther decides to do the right thing, even if it means her death. And her famous words were, I will go before the king, and if I perish, I perish. Man, that was so powerful. In the story today, someone's going to die. And today... I want us to see two big ideas in this story. Two big ideas. You can go your way or you can go God's way. It's really simple. That's the big idea of the sermon today. You can go your way or you can go God's way. Those are the, really the only two paths. Those are the only two choices that you have. And this story is going to make it clear how each path will end up, how each path will work out. And today, just to be very transparent and blunt with you, I'm going to encourage you to follow God's way. All right, I want to be upfront with you. I'm going, to, I'm going to encourage you to follow God's way. So we pick up the story in Esther chapter 7, verse 1. And it says, So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. If, if you've been you know, following the story, this is the second party that Esther has thrown for Xerxes and Haman. And, and if you can just kind of... Picture the story. The plot is getting thicker and thicker. And, and the question is, 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 is you know, are God's people going to die? Um, is Haman going to kill Mordecai? Will Esther be executed because of her request to the king? I mean, this is a critical moment in the story. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine... Let me stop here real quick. 
Ladies, let me ask you a question. I have to be very clear. Do not raise your hand, okay, on this question. But let me ask you, how many of you have used alcohol to get your husband to do what you wanted him to do? All right? Esther wasn't born yesterday. And I'm not saying this is right. Don't take that the wrong way. But Esther uses a party and she uses wine to soften her husband for the moment of her appeal. She is smart. She's walking in wisdom. After the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Like Xerxes is anxious to hear what Esther wants. Anticipation has built in his heart. What does she want? I mean, this is the second time that he's asked her this question. Gosh, this must be a big deal. He wants to know what Esther's request is going to be. What could it be? Esther has already asked, excuse me, Esther has already been asked two other times what it is she wants but she didn't answer King Xerxes because the time wasn't right. Esther was patient. She was precise in her timing. And we're going to see that she is very clear in her request. Very clear. She had a sensitive ear to the voice of God. She had a wise heart. When, when King Xerxes asked her the first two times, she sensed that something wasn't right. So she held her tongue. She waited in patience for the right timing. She didn't push it. She knew when to wait. She knew when to act. And so let me ask you, are are you sensitive to the leading of God? Are you in tune with the voice of God? Do you know when to act and when to wait? In the book of 1 Kings, chapters 18 and 19, we're told about this great prophet Elijah. If you remember, Elijah was the one that challenged the prophets of Baal. Hundreds of prophets. It was hundreds of prophets against one prophet. So hundreds of prophets of Baal against one prophet of God. And if you remember, Elijah built this altar and they had poured all kinds of water around it. Stone, rock, all kinds of things. And, and, and he prayed and God sent fire and he consumed the altar. So Elijah, who had just defeated the prophets of Baal in a very dramatic way, remember hundreds of them. But what's interesting is when you turn the page to chapter 19 in 1 Kings, we read that Jezebel, the wicked wife of Ahab, was seeking to kill this great prophet of God, Elijah. So here is this man who stood up to hundreds of men you know, prayed and God sent fire and consumed this altar. Great, mighty acts. And then you turn the, the page and one woman is threatening his life and Elijah goes running into the mountains and, and he goes into hiding. There's a lot there. I'm not going to unpack. One woman threatens his life and Elijah runs and hides. And if you remember... The, On this mountainside, he's hiding from one woman, running for his life. God says that he is going to reveal his presence to Elijah. So the Lord, while Elijah's on this mountainside, the Lord sent a mighty wind. This wind was so powerful, it crushed rocks on the mountainside. And then he sent a mighty earthquake. 
the whole earth shook. And then He sent fire. But the Scripture says that the presence of God was in neither of those. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the fire. After all the dramatic events, the Lord spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. A gentle whisper. He was showing Elijah that the work of God is not always accompanied by dramatic manifestations. There's so many Christians running around and they just want God to like, just do these dramatic things and all the while God is whispering to them, saying, I'm right here, would you listen? We haven't heard the voice of God in the book of Esther. Remember, it's referred to as the godless book. There's no voice of God. There's no miracles. We haven't seen dramatic intervention by the hand of God. Just silence. Divine silence does not mean divine inactivity. God's at work even though we can't see it. God is working. Even though you can't see it, God is working. He's speaking to the heart of Esther. He's leading the heart of Mordecai. And He's moving the heart of a pagan king, Xerxes. Because God is all-powerful. Are you sensitive to the voice of God? If God were to speak to you in a still, small voice, in a whisper, would you be able to hear it? Or is your life so cluttered, so loud, so full of activity that you'll miss it? You'll miss the voice of God. Esther knew when to speak and she knew when to keep silent. Do you know when to speak? Do you know when to keep silent? Do you have the wisdom to hold back until the right moment? Gosh, it takes trust. It takes faith knowing that God is in control to hold your tongue, to not try to go in and fix everything, to to be patient. Let me just encourage all of us, including myself, okay? No one bats a thousand when it comes to patience, when it comes to saying the right thing at the right time. But, but the question I want to ask us, the question I'm asking myself is, are you in tune with God enough to be able to hear His whisper? We're looking for dramatic events and miracles and healings and God do this and do that. But what if He's whispering to you? This is God's way. Be still and know that I am God. Verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, she's speaking to Xerxes, and if it please the king, let my life be granted uh, me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed and to be killed and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction, our, our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. This is 
Amazing. Like Esther was respectful to a disrespectful husband. This is so crazy. Esther, the the maturity that is shown by Esther in this moment is unbelievable. She's in the middle of a crisis. She's pleading for her life and the life of her people. Yet, she's calm. She's controlled. She's confident. And she comes to her husband in a respectful way. Let me ask you, has Xerxes earned respect? Like, No way, man. This dude is a wretch. He's sleeping with a bunch of other women. He's drunk all the time. He's always on an emotional roller coaster. Yet Esther still shows him respect. Let let me encourage this church. The best way to earn respect is to give respect. Because because of the fact that Esther is approaching her husband in such a respectful way, he's more willing to listen and to grant her request. You know, if, if she were to have if she approached Xerxes in a demanding way, like, you better do this, Xerxes, or else. Like, she would have died. She would have lost her life. He would have said, be gone with your head, be gone with you. Uh, let's have another beauty pageant. That's what he would have done. If you give disrespect, you earn disrespect. If you give Respect, you earn respect. Like that, that's how God's economy works. The scripture says you reap what you sow. If you plant an apple seed and you water it and you take care of it, an apple tree is going to grow. Not an orange tree, an apple tree. You, you reap what you sow, you reap what you plant, you get what you plant. If you plant respect, you get respect. If you plant disrespect, You get disrespect. This is God's way. Esther said to King Xerxes, if only we were being sold into slavery, I wouldn't have troubled you with this matter. I know you have so many more important things uh, on your mind, so many more important things to worry about. I wouldn't have bothered you if it was just slavery. But I'm talking, King, about annihilation. This decree that has been passed says that my people are to be annihilated. And notice that Esther identifies herself with the Jews. If you remember up until this point, Esther had an identity crisis. She she had two names, if you remember. She didn't know if she was Persian or if she was Jewish. She was unwilling to identify with the people of God. So I want to ask you, how many of you are like that? We we really don't want to go all in with the people of God. I'll just say that I'm a follower of Jesus when it's convenient. You know, many of us have the mentality, man, Christians are all hypocrites anyways. I I don't want to be identified with them. I don't want to say I'm a Christian. I don't want to stand up with them. Man, this is a great moment for Esther. Because I believe she, she realized in this moment, she knows that her adopted father, Mordecai, isn't perfect. She knows that her people have many flaws, but she comes to the realization, these are my people. 
I love them. And I want to identify with them. Flaws and all. Mistakes and all. Hypocrisy and all. These are my people. And I want to identify with them. I love these people. I love Mordecai. And I'm willing to die for the people of God. Ah, I don't want to be a part of a church. Like every church is just corrupt, man. It's just big business. It's all about money. I don't want to be a Christian. All Christians are hypocrites. I don't want to be identified with hypocrisy. Let me, just for a moment, let me, let me speak to the skeptics. Don't look in the wrong place for perfection. Nowhere in all of Scripture does it say followers of Jesus will be perfect in this life. Nowhere in all of Scripture does it say the church, the bride of Christ, will be perfect in this life. I mean, I could argue and argue and argue with you until I was blue in the face, but you will always be able to find flaws in me and the church I pastor. But listen, Christianity doesn't rise or fall on the way Christians have acted throughout history or how we're acting today. Christianity rises or falls on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is no hypocrite. Listen, I'm not trying to sell you on me. I'm not trying to win you over with the church I pastor. If that were the case, you'd be greatly disappointed and rightly so. My goal is to get you to look at the right source, and that is Jesus Christ. And listen, if you can find flaws in the person of Jesus, then by all means, don't waste another second okay, trying to follow Him. But if in Jesus Christ you find perfection, if in Jesus Christ He's everything that He said He was, that He's God, then I invite you, I invite you to join us in our feeble attempts to bring Him glory. If Jesus is who He says He is, you have two options. You either go God's way or you go your way. Going your way. Let's look at that. Let's look at how that works out. Going your way. That was the way of Haman. Haman was manipulative. He was conniving and prideful. And it's a picture of going your way. Let's see how this works out for going your way. Verse 5. Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? I think Haman just wet his pants in this moment. Literally, I think it happened. Esther, realizing her moment had arrived, she doesn't hesitate. Look at verse 6. And Esther said, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. I think he just wet his pants again. (laughs) Xerxes asks, 
Who did this? Who made such decree? If you remember, Xerxes was the one that signed this decree. So he's messed up as well. But Esther clothed with strength and courage. She speaks with intense clarity. Verse 7, And the king arose in his wrath. You don't want to make a king angry, right? From the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. He had to go for a walk to clear his mind. And Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. Haman is having a rough couple days. Okay, If you remember, first of all, he had to parade Mordecai. Remember the man he despised, the man that wouldn't bow down to him? He had to parade him around and sing his praises. And now the queen herself is accusing him to the king. Haman is downright terrified, and rightly so. Haman is a picture of doing things our own way. How, do you, how, do you, how can you say that, Justin? Well, he had his plans. We all have plans. He climbed the ladder of success. We're all trying to climb the ladder, right? He was second in charge. He was the second most powerful man in all the earth. He had riches, he had pleasures, he had comfort. He had everything a man could want, but it wasn't enough. Everything wasn't enough. Haman wanted more. He's in this place because one man wouldn't bow down to him. One man. So so why do you think more is going to be enough. Man, if only, right? How many of us ask that question? If only I had that promotion. If only I had that job. If only I had that spouse. If only I had that whatever. Fill in the blank. If only more. Everything won't be enough for you. More is never enough. Haman is begging for his life at the feet of Esther while the very angry King Xerxes goes for a walk in the garden to collect his thoughts. I mean, his closest ruler manipulated and deceived him. He is angry, seething. So what's Xerxes going to do? Let's read verse 8. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman, a picture of going your own way, was falling on the couch where Esther was. Okay, Haman is frantic. He's begging for his life. You could say he's hysteric. He's, he's falling on the couch. He's pleading for his life. All of a sudden, this prideful, arrogant man is humble as a baby. But it's too late. It's too late. There will come a time. This is the hard truth. There will come a time... It will be too late when you go your own way. Your own way, you'll have seasons where all seems under control. Man, Haman had the life. He had everything. Everything was under control until it wasn't. Your way will end in destruction. We think we can manage our sin. We think... Oh man, I'm just going to put it on this shelf and I'll take care of it later and I'll take care of this sin here. And we manage it and we think we can manage our disobedience, our sin towards God. 
We think we can control our future. We think we can manipulate our way to the top. But your way always ends in death. And the king said, let's keep reading, and the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? Let me say something on this real quick. Some commentators believe that that Xerxes had to have a reason legally to put Haman to death. So when he saw Haman begging for his life next to Esther on her couch, he accused him of trying to sexually assault the queen. And this, I, I think, would make Xerxes feel better about himself because he was the one who signed the decree into law. Others say... Okay, there's a different perspective. Others say that Haman's pride wasn't about to die. He was begging and pleading for his life, but then in rage and pride, it led to the fact that he really was trying to sexually assault Esther to make someone pay a price before he had to pay the ultimate price. So I'll let you decide when you study Esther for yourself. Okay? Verses 8 and 9. As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house 50 cubits high. Okay. Jewish tradition says Harbona was one of the supposed close friends of Haman. He was one of his close friends. But in the moment of Haman's demise, Harbona was quick to abandon him. And I don't know how bright Harbona is, but I kind of picture in my mind that maybe he's a little goofy, but he just says, Hey, King Xerxes, I just wanted to let you know that Haman built some gallows in the front of his house, and uh, he built it for Mordecai. You remember Mordecai, the guy that saved your life? And, uh, well, they're really nice and they've never been used, you know? And I can just picture Haman in that moment. I don't know if he's handcuffed. I guess it did say he had a cover over his face. Pretend like there's holes. Okay, he can see through it somehow. He's given Harbona the just evil eye. Like, what are you doing, man? That, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Shut your mouth. In the end, though, if you go your way... You'll lose everything, including those you thought were your friends. Gosh, there's a lot there, you know? Man, some of us, we think we have friends, but they're not really friends, man. They're just around you because of your money. They're just around you because of your drugs. They're just around you because you're a fun guy. I mean, whatever it may be. And isn't it good to have friends that are there when you really, really need them? Man, it's good to have those kind of friends. I hope and pray you have those kind of friends. Verse 10, And the king said, Hang him on it. Haman's own gallows. I mean, talk about irony. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. What seemed like the end for the people of God was only the beginning. 
In the end, Haman, in spite of all his efforts, all his successes, his riches, his begging and pleading, in the end, Haman couldn't save himself, and neither can you. There's only one way to be saved, and it's not your way. It's God's way. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through Me. There's only one way to the Father, one way to salvation, one way to heaven, one way to live an abundant, victorious life, and that one way is through Jesus Christ. We're all going to die. None of us are getting out of this thing alive. We're all going to die. And Haman wasn't ready to die. I have to ask you, are you ready? If, If death were to come knocking on your door, would you be ready? Would you go kicking and screaming like Haman or would you go in peace and confidence knowing where you're going to spend eternity? Haman, a picture of your way, went to death begging, pleading, kicking, screaming. But Jesus, God's way, went to the cross humbly. He went to the cross willingly. A lot of people think that Jesus went to the cross kicking and screaming. No, He went to the cross, the Scripture says, willingly. He willingly laid His life down. He was full of courage. He was full of peace. Are you ready for death? Justin, how do I get ready? I don't want to die. i got too much to live for. I'm afraid to die. You don't have to be afraid death. But the reality is, you're going to die because of sin. And the Scripture teaches that God's wrath is poured out on sin because He's holy and perfectly righteous. He's a holy, righteous God. And because God's wrath is poured out on sin, it means that God's wrath is on you. And God's wrath will crush you. There's only one way to get out from under the wrath of God towards sin. The wrath of God can only be abated. The the wrath of God can only be stopped through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. On the cross, let's, let's understand this, church. On the cross, Jesus took our punishment. On the cross... Jesus took the full wrath of God. The full wrath of God towards sin was upon Jesus cross uh, upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And he did that so you and I could be saved. The wrath of God crushed Jesus instead of you, instead of me. But due to the fact that Jesus was sinless, He didn't stay dead. Jesus came back to life. The wrath of God towards sin was fully satisfied in Jesus Christ because Jesus was sinless. He was perfectly holy. He was spotless. That's why He was able to conquer death. And if we place our faith in Jesus, we too can be saved 
from the wrath of God. Man, it's hard. Sometimes it's like people get confused and they think the wrath of God is towards humans. The wrath of God is towards sin. But sin is in us. So yes, the wrath of God abides on us because we are sinners. But when you take Jesus Christ into your life, the Scripture says the blood of Christ covers all sin. So now when when God looks at Justin Ross, He doesn't see a wretch. He doesn't see a wicked sinner. He sees perfection because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8-11 says, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Dang, that's good. Man, I'm going to end today by just calling you to Jesus. I encourage you to go God's way. Once again, I'm not trying to win you over on me or on the church I pastor. I just want you to see Christ. The band is going to come on up. And uh, those uh, that are getting baptized this morning, if you could go ahead and make your way back to get ready. Uh, I just want to say, while they're kind of getting ready, if I can keep your focus. If this morning you realize, I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've never really understood what the whole sacrifice was about. Like, why did Jesus have to die? It's just seems kind of cultish, you know, it seems weird. I, I, I understand it now, though. I, un, I want Jesus to be my God. If, if this morning you realize I've never put my faith in Christ, I've never asked Him to be my God, I want to ask you, if God is speaking to your heart in this moment, and He's saying to you, today's the day, and you can sense the Holy Spirit, you know when He's talking to you. If He's saying, today's the day of your salvation... If the Lord speaks to you in such a way, I'm just going to ask you to agree with the Holy Spirit and say yes. Yes, God, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, I believe that you died for my sins and that you came back to life. And yes, I want to follow you, Jesus, with my life. I want you to agree with the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to ask you to do something really courageous. I want to ask you... If you ask Jesus into your heart, I want you to tell someone about that decision. I want you to tell the person maybe that brought you this morning, you know, the friend that invited you that you're sitting next to, or tell a pastor, tell me, tell Pastor Keith, Pastor Chris at the back after the service. Those cards that are in the seat pocket in front of you, fill that out. You could tell us that way. Just tell somebody because we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. And this life in Christ is a journey. So we want to help you with the next step of your journey. And that next step is baptism. We want you to understand what that's about. So tell someone. That's, it, it takes courage. But man, if you place your faith in Jesus this morning, tell someone about that decision.
And I'm going to shut up here by asking, which way is it going to be? Your way or God's way? Which way is it going to be? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm so thankful for your sacrifice on the cross for our sin. I pray that this morning we would be reminded of that anew. It should have been me that was crushed, but I would have never recovered from that because I'm wretch. I'm, I'm full of sin. But Jesus, you were the spotless, perfect sacrifice and you were able to conquer death because of that. At the cross, we've been redeemed. At the cross, we find forgiveness for our sin. No more shame. No more guilt. I pray we would die to our pride so that we might live in Christ. And thank you for making a way, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. You can stand this morning and just sing with us. You can worship in your seat. Just uh, use this time to allow God to have His way with your heart. All right?